Welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast, which covers the latest in health and technology through interviews with disruptive health startups and leaders. So you are listening to one of our first 20 episodes. So first of all, thank you so much for listening. As you can imagine with the podcast, they get more and more popular, which ours certainly did after episode 20. So we started giving proper introductions, long introductions, and we upgraded our equipment and everything like that. So that's why you're hearing from me now, because we're putting this at the start of every one of those first 20 episodes. So I am your host. My name is James Someru. I'm an anesthetics and intensive care doctor by background. So I practiced for five years. I did loads of different jobs in policy and leadership within the UK NHS. I've run two different health tech accelerators to help startups grow, access different markets in the UK and abroad. And now I'm a co-founder of HS and we build, scale and invest in the best health tech startups. So if you want to get in touch with us, then head on over to the description of this podcast. In there, you will find all of the links to our social media, website, emails, etc. So click on those, follow us, let us know what you think of the podcast and feel free to suggest any guests. Hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. Connect with us. Let us know what you think. Welcome to this week's episode of the HS Podcast. I'm James and Alex is also with me today. We're the founders of HS and joining us as our guest this week is Stephen Bork, who's founder of the UK digital health company Echo, which is a simple free service that delivers your medicine straight to your door and basically allows you to take control of your NHS repeat prescriptions. Now, I've known Stephen for a few years, helping them with various elements and most recently echo one of the companies that featured at the hs investor showcase at the end of last year i'm sure we'll come on to fundraising up later on as i'm told there's lots of exciting things going on at echo uh, but first of all Stephen, welcome how are you doing i'm very well uh it's a little bit cold today but other than that uh yeah super excited to um be talking to you cool um so, Stephen, it's fair to say that you've had a pretty inspiring journey as a founder. So, for our listeners, why don't you tell us your story? Sure. Um, so, it's it's actually probably more mundane than inspiring, but um, pretty much for my entire life, um, I have uh, taken repeat prescriptions uh, for one thing or the other. So, as a kid, I had pretty bad asthma. So, it was on, you know, uh, preventer and reliever inhalers. And then as an adult, I was diagnosed uh, with general anxiety disorder. So I've been taking an antidepressant uh, to manage my anxiety. And um, really, um, <clears throat> like a lot of uh, people, I'm quite disengaged with my health. I don't really think or talk about it. But um, there was a point when I was working uh, for an online doctor service where I thought to myself, we could really use this technology um, and deploy it in helping people like me with chronic lifelong conditions better manage their health. And, and so really, Echo was founded by myself and my co-founder, uh, who also takes a repeat prescription to tackle a problem we understand exceptionally well, and that is uh, how do you make it easier for people to get and take their medicine when they're going to be on it for the rest of their life? And that's really kind of the crux of what we're trying to do. Cool. So... I guess the first thing to say is, I, you know, thank you for, for being open and, and sharing, I guess, you know, your 
mental health and physical health challenges. I mean, being a patient founder, you know, what an incredible motivation, I guess, that is. How, how do you think being a patient founder has helped you in starting Echo and, and obviously scaling to where you are now? Well, it's, it's funny. 37% of uh, Echo patients also take an antidepressant. And what that means is, is that um, I personally understand what they're going through. I understand what the pain points are in managing that. So if you take a typical kind of SSRI or SSNI, the withdrawal effects of not getting your meds um, can really be quite severe. And so it's essential that the medicine arrives on time. And when we think about medicines adherence, you know, we talk a lot in the in, in sort of the literature about compliance, about concordance. Well, actually, possession is, is so critical. If you don't physically have the meds, you can't take them. You can't be compliant. And for a lot of people, again, with kind of mental health challenges, and, and there are so many of us, it's something like a quarter of the UK population, um, we, we, we can often be quite disengaged with our health. We, we don't necessarily want to think about it. In my instance, uh, when I've had panic attacks, once they're over, they're the last thing I want to think about anymore. I want to just move on with my life. And so managing meds becomes this burden that reminds you of, you know, this really quite often troublesome part, facet of your personality. Um, and, and so, again, you can disengage and things can get a little bit chaotic. So in my own personal experience before Echo, I had so many times when I basically left it till the very last minute to get my repeat prescription, turning up at the GP surgery, you know, in an Uber, begging the receptionist, uh, getting a, a, you know, a prescription, then taking it into the pharmacy and then they won't have enough stock. So you go to another pharmacy and it's amazing, despite being a lifelong patient, how, you know, decades in, I was still <laughs> falling into this trap um, <laughs> almost every month to the point where my wife just got so frustrated with the stress it was causing that she said, let me do it. Um, and I think, you know, as embarrassing as that is, it's a very common thing where one carer uh, will just take this whole process and this chore over uh, because they see the knock on effects and, and, and they're just like, it, it isn't worth it. Um, uh, I think, you know, so from someone like me taking a medicine with a short half-life, it's uh, absolutely critical we get the meds, um, regardless of how disorganized we are. Then there's another paradigm of people who take medicine and, well, it's more preventative. So classic example is a guy I know who takes statins. He uh, works in London but lives in the north doing the commute. Um, and the reality is, is that, you know, if he misses his, his, his statin, it doesn't really make a big difference immediately. It's a, you know, I bet, I think he described it to me once as like missing a vitamin tablet. Um, and so for someone like that, it's critical to create a habit forming regime. So something that just gets them into the habit of taking their meds on the regular and removing the chores so that when, you know, life gets in the way and we're all super busy, um, they don't fall off um, from the adherence plan. Because I think that group are, are really at risk of, you know, anything could change. They could join a gym, they could lose some weight, change their diet, and all of a sudden des decide that they no longer need this medicine. Um, and we see this, you know, with antibiotics, we see this with so many preventative meds. So 
really when I think back to what Echo and the patient perspective gives is, 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 is really kind of like a deep understanding of what we're trying to build. And what's important, I, you know, some people ask me, did you, did you try and start a healthcare company? And, and the answer is not really. We were set out originally to create a convenience company. We set out to solve a problem for us, not as patients, just as people who, you know, are busy and, and at the, you know, in our thirties and have, have, you know, busy demanding jobs and family lives and who just happen to take medicine. Um, it was only afterwards when actually <laughs> we had to apply for grant funding and we were asked, what social mission are you guys addressing? Um, <clears throat> I asked the team, I asked the clinical team, I was like, well, okay, any answers here? And they looked at me dumbfounded and said, Stephen, this is all about medicine's adherence. Half of all medicine isn't taken as directed, right? And when you consider that the uh, UK, or sorry, England, we spend 17 plus billion each year on medicine, that's a huge amount of waste. And not just physical waste, but the real waste happens when people don't take their meds and in two, three, five, ten years end up in hospital. And so if we can just nudge adherence by one, two, three points um, towards better compliance, I think we can have a transformational impact on, on health economies and on people's lives. You know, that is fascinating. So just, just to highlight something that you just said, right, half of all medicine isn't taken as directed. So, you know, for, for people listening to just for that to sink in, if you think of all the, the money that is spent in R&D to create new drugs or, you know, the marginal gains of making things that little bit better and, and treating plans that little bit better what you're saying there is that 50% of people just aren't taking the things properly. And I imagine that is a much easier problem to solve exactly as you've described, you know, and I love what you said before about how you describe solving a problem, because you know, what, what you're describing is real life. You're describing real human emotions, real human forgetfulness and just life getting in the way, you know, and you, you seem so connected to the problem that the solution just came to you so simply. So I guess what I'd love to know is, is how did an idea become Echo. What was the process there? Well, <clears throat> um, it, it, I'm, I'm not going to lie. It wasn't easy. Um, we are in a market that is uh, has some big household names operating in it. Um, it's highly regulated. Um, it is highly politicized, and um, it's also very low margin uh, at its core. So. Um, it requires volume. It requires you to build something quite big uh, in order to pay for the technology, in order to pay for the, um, the R&D in user experience. So when we started out, we um, approached a, uh, a fund um, and really we you know, did our first pitch based on a keynote, um, explaining the problem we were looking to solve, our background as entrepreneurs, and critically, our understanding as patients of what really matters in this space. I've previously worked um, with clinical teams developing stuff for patients, and it's always interesting to see the gulf between what a clinician thinks a patient needs and, and what a patient thinks a patient needs. And so that's where we've always seen our edges, is that we come from this position of, uh, of, 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 of deep understanding. And and when I talk about understanding, I'm understanding about what we want, um, myself and, and my co-founder. I can't talk about some of our other patients. I mean, we are big in the cystic fibrosis community. 
um, and we have and we have um, lots of patients um, like with significant polypharmacy needs. I don't know what their lives are like. I mean, we are doing research into it, but I can't talk for them. But for people like me uh, on an antidepressant uh, in their thirties and with a you know a busy lifestyle, I I. I you know, glibly will say I have a PhD in what it's like <laughs> to do this. Um, so, um, you know, when we when we went out and pitched, that was very much front and center. This isn't an abstract problem we're solving. We'd also used all the alternatives that existed on the market on the time. So it wasn't that we were coming in blind and we had seen the potential for, you know, what is you know typically called online pharmacy. We'd seen, you know, the breakpoints in that. Um, and we had said to ourselves, why is, you know, technology transforming every other sector, but this seems to be left behind. A lot of the um, communications, a lot of the sort of design is just quite alienating back then. Um, and it was still predicated on this kind of network of stores that ultimately you'd have to go into and didn't really have any kind of, you know, consolidated stock management, didn't have any communication and so it's actually the name Echo comes from echoing communication from the patient to the GP and to the pharmacist, because we've built lots of systems, you know, in the NHS that do patient to GP or GP to pharmacy or pharmacy to patient. But we don't actually have one that links all three of them up um, yet successfully. That's what Echo is, 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 is trying to build. Um, because really the pharmacist can play a huge role in, in clinical care, but also patients don't want prescriptions. They want medicine. They don't care if you send the prescription via carrier pigeon and they just want the medicine in their hands at the end of the month. Then they want to know, what is this thing? You know, what's the difference between white pill one and white pill two? What happens if I take alcohol with this medicine? What happens if I skip a dose? What are the, you know, what's the kind of the, the risk reward of this, you know, if it's going to make me groggy, is it still worth it? They want that understanding. They want that education. And then what we also want to do from our side is understand if they decide as the patient not to take the medicine because they've made that decision, we want to know why. What are the side effects that are driving that decision? Have they made, you know, an informed decision and decided, you know what, this isn't worth it? Or is there something missing or some sort of, you know, conflation of ideas? And I think smartphones are so incredible at creating this intimacy between, you know, yourself. It becomes a diary and you don't have to share it with anyone. But if we were able to track some of those instances and some of those thoughts and some of those belief patterns and use that to inform a better dialogue between the patient and the GP and the pharmacist, I think, again, it, it can really transform how we deal with chronic condition management within primary care. Then, of course, the secondary care, which is, a, which is an entire different beast, <laughs> but is, is super interesting from our perspective as well. If we think about bed blocking in hospitals, if we think about you know, patients waiting for dispensaries just to get their meds, if we think about the infection risk of hanging around in a hospital for six hours just to be given, you know, um, some pretty regularly, reg regular meds. There's a big opportunity, I think, there as well. And what you can do if you can combine it all 
all of the meds on one platform is create something that gives a patient a full overview. You can look at interactions between primary and secondary care. You can share information that, you know, quite often the GP has no idea what's being dished out in the hospital and vice versa. And so if we can create that on one platform that the patient owns, we can empower them to make more informed decisions as to whether or not they should be taking their meds as directed or not. And I think that's, you know, really what it comes down to. So, Stephen, just talk us through, I guess, the user journey of what the product Echo is, you know, who it's aimed at, you've gone into detail on, but, you know, as a consumer that that might download the app and, and use it, what's the experience like? Sure. So you download Echo, uh, tell us who you are and you tell us what medicine you need and who your GP is. We verify that on the back end and we place your repeat prescription uh, request to your NHS England GP. So, so far we've dealt with 92% of NHS GPs across the country. So, you know, it's a pan England thing. We've got, you know, full coverage. Um, your GP then makes a prescribing decision. So if they're happy to issue a repeat prescription, it comes back to us. If they're not, we tell you and uh, we um, uh, inform the patient and tell them, you know, go and see your GP. And that's typically for annual reviews. Um, it doesn't happen quite as often as you'd think um, because obviously GPs are under a huge amount of pressure to see patients who want to see them. But um, when the prescription comes back to us, we then uh, dispense it and we um, then take the GP's direction. So it could be take two tablets daily uh, and we use an algorithm to convert that into reminders that tell the patient when to take the meds and, and, and critically when they're going to run out. So I take venlafaxine. I take one a day. So I get an alert at 8 a.m. every morning, which I can skip or snooze um, or take. Um, and then when I reach 14 days supply, uh, which is where we've seen the kind of the, the critical time to reorder is, I receive a reminder telling me, Stephen, it's time to reorder. Would you like to go through it again? And really all we're doing is, is we're a communication channel. We don't automatically order. You know, we don't, it's not a third party order. Really, this is a request being made by the patient directly to the GP surgery that we facilitate. We're also not in control if the GP decides to, you know, um, not approve the request or wants to see or wants to talk to the patient. It could be that they need, you know, blood pressure reading. Um, that's really um, the GP's decision. This isn't a, you know, put in whatever you want and get whatever you want platform. Um, um, but um, I think everything is mm. everything we do is built around that user experience and making it as easy and as intuitive as possible so that we make meds adherence the path of least resistance. And again, it comes back to forming habits. We want you to use Echo and to um, really kind of, you know, come, come, come to see it as um, offering a peace of mind so that we're going to sort out this meds. We're going to run the prescription gauntlet on your behalf every month um, and make your life easier. And our, our guess, our kind of our hypothesis is that if we do that, you're more likely to um, continue down that happy path of, of, of meds adherence. Um, on the flip side, we want to create a, um, a sense of like a, a place for pa patients to go and get information. So when I look at my app um, and I click on Venfaxing, what we have in the, um, uh, the app itself are some you know, top level uh, 
uh, information about what the drug is, uh, you know, warnings, um, that's, that sort of stuff that gives a little bit more context. Because I'll be honest with you, I've never read a patient information leaflet in my life, the piece of paper that comes with the medicine. Um, but if we can use that kind of very transactional nature of ordering your meds and, um, I guess, drop in a critical piece of information, we can improve the patient's understanding of what they're taking. And then last but not least, of course, is the reminders function. And it's telling people when to take their meds. I mean, I get 100 messages a day from Instagram and Facebook. An extra one to take my meds is, 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 isn't, uh, <laughs> isn't that, that officious. And um, strangely enough, uh, <laughs> something like 97% of our patients leave reminders turned on, even though they have the option to turn them off. And that comes down to the fact that it just becomes something that, you know, it solves that chore. It gives you that peace of mind to manage your meds. Um, and that's really it. Mm. Um, we don't do a huge amount more to that. And um, really solving that supply chain issue, solving that interconnectivity issue has uh, been our entire mission since day one. I can tell you a bit of a story, actually, from uh, someone that I know who came to our Investor Showcase, saw you guys there. I think he might have had a chat to you. Anyway, he downloaded Echo and he, came, <laughs> he spoke to me about a week later and he was, he was completely shocked at just how simple everything was. And he actually, he described it as like almost like cheat codes because he said, I couldn't believe it. The, you know, the medication turned up at my door. I didn't have to do any of the usual nonsense. No, I, I think it's, it's particularly patient face of services are, are, have, have been unloved. Let's, let's put it like that. And I think, you know, one of, the, one of the kind of the aspects of the NHS being free at the point of care is, is that I think we often disregard that patient experience because, hey, it's free, deal with it. And it doesn't have to be that way. We have the technology to build amazing products mm. for patients and um, if i look at what's happening in the market i mean patient access for instance which is one of the uh, main patient facing platforms they've had a recent overhaul and i'm going to tell you i think it looks slick it looks really really good and the net effect of that i bet you and i haven't seen any numbers but i bet you it will be better engagement with the platform better stickiness and patients will be more likely to interact and start to use it in the way that the nhs infrastructure and architecture already intended but if we continue continue to ship bad looking um you know apps where ux and ui are very much an afterthought where design isn't even considered um we're not going to see that change in in behavior that that we need to happen and when you get it right and i'm glad you know in in, in your anecdote you got it right but when you get it right, it, it should feel special. It should feel like magic. But the reality is, is all we're doing is leveraging the, the systems that the NHS has already built, but we're doing it from a, an, a very much a patient-centric approach. Um, and, and, uh, and, and that's the reality of the situation is Echo couldn't exist without the spine, without EPS. Um, we, we probably couldn't exist without um, some of the IM1 GP SOC connectivity. You know, there, there are lots of things that have been built by the NHS. And that's why we always tell our, our colleagues in, in Skipton House and in Leeds, please continue to build this architecture because we'll build the services on top of it using our expertise. But you have the scale and you have the, I guess, the remit to, to really build the stuff that will allow us to flourish. And I, I think, you know, we're finally seeing... We're finally seeing progress um, yeah. there, which is which is exciting.
And that UI UX, that has been a focus of yours from day one, right? Uh, my co-founder, uh, he, he had come from Apple, um, where obviously <clears throat> that is uh, front and center. And from my own perspective, I spent a few years working in a branding agency. And so we, we wanted to create something that, you know, something that looked like uh, any of the other consumer apps we use, to be honest. Um, when, when I look at, uh, you know, how slick Deliveroo is, the train line, I mean, what an app the train line is. If you think about, you know, user experience, it really is the gold standard. Mm-hmm. But um, we also, I think, you know, within the design thinking, <clears throat> felt uh, as 30-something-year-old guys quite alienated by a lot of the communication and design that typically comes packaged within healthcare. So if I look at, you know, quite often the focus for communication campaigns is the over 60s. And I get that they are, you know, they over 60s consume 60% of all medicine in in England. But guess what? Like 40% of meds is consumed by under 60s. And also what is 60 anymore? I mean, it's not old. It's not old age. Like all those paradigms are, are, are changing. Google is 20 years old. So there's 45 year olds who were using Google um, in its first year, who are now 65, are they going to stop using Google? Are they going to start lowering their, their, uh, <laughs> their, their threshold of design? No, they're not. Um, I think if we look at all of the highest value companies, the one thing they have in common, common is, is, is design. And that can be different types of design. So if you take you know, the slickness of Apple versus the sheer utility of like booking.com, the, those are both elements of design. Um, but again, we want to create something that's attractive and I'm, I'm probably going to regret using this word, but sexy. Why can't we have a sexy product for managing meds? Why does it have to feel like a chore? Like I'm dealing with, you know, uh, like filling in my taxes. And again, if you look at companies like bulb and energy, they're doing the exact same thing. They're taking energy supply and they're saying, yeah, we can make this a bit sexy. We can give you an amazing interface. We can give you all of this incredible technology to empower you as a user to better manage your own data, to make more informed decisions. And that's all we're doing at Echo. Um, we're just we're just doing it within healthcare, which comes with an additional responsibility. I love that. This idea of the infrastructure builders are good at building infrastructure, so they should focus on that and not allow themselves to be distracted potentially by what young startups can do that are connected to their customers that might be patient founders that might be clinician founders that can allow themselves the luxury of being focused on design and you know having all of these startups that are building on that infrastructure it seems like a really good vision i mean how realistic do you think that is so there is no way that a startup could go out and build a spine for instance um there's no way that a startup could go out and build, you know, interoperability yeah. between all hospitals, trusts, and all CCGs. Um, so um, I think you need, in effect, the NHS to focus on that stuff because they're the only ones who will be able to do it. I mean, there are a few players, perhaps, in the market, some of the larger um, uh, IT systems providers who, who, who are doing some great stuff in that space, but you need the mandate from, from the NHS. Um, I, I think it is it is happening, um, but uh, quite often it's you know let's let's just call this pit spade like healthcare is super political, right? Um, and it's not like you know <clears throat> it's mm. not like the pizza industry, and it's like well, what's going to happen next? Is Domino's going to launch this app? Is 
is Peter Hunt going to do this? What's Franco Manca doing? I mean, with with healthcare, we we really have a huge amount of politics, and and it it, it links to the Department of Health, and then links to the Treasury, and then to the Cabinet Office. But really, it all happens in the regions. So, you know, healthcare is 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 very much a, a local thing, and um, and and you have to understand local pressures, and you have to understand local agendas and and uh, the the stress you know a lot of our colleagues are under and that just means that quite often focus can get um watered down we we can we can we can sort of start chasing a hundred different ideas at once rather than focusing what i believe the nhs should be um doing which is which is um building the you know un- ultimate interoperable layer and and there are parallels i i spent a few years in uh, british telecoms um, and as you may or may not know, um, BT is, is obviously its own brand and, and sells directly to consumers, but it also powers uh, the vast majority of telcos um, in the UK, with the exception of Virgin. They are the layer, they're the infrastructure layer, both from uh, what's known as open reach, which is their last mile connectivity, and also um, they have their own version of the spine. And, and really... Um, they have done an exceptional job at building that out and giving an equal playing field for all of the other telcos to um, to build added value services. And I always, when talking to NHS colleagues, is saying, please, can you build that open reach model for, for healthcare? You know, connect all of the dots between local pharmacies and local GPs back into the local hospital, and then we will build the services and, and many others like us will build the services on top. Um, but sometimes that message doesn't get through, uh, and that's that's because it's a complicated uh, a complicated market, and that's I guess just the cost of doing business in the NHS. So Stephen, just to play devil's advocate here, is this just mail order pharmacy with a fancy app? If we unpick what we mean by mail order pharmacy, and go back to adherence, and go back to possession, possession is absolutely critical. You cannot be compliant to a medication regime unless you physically have the meds. And if mail order or online or whatever you want to call it, internet pharmacy maximizes the chance that the patient will have the medicine in their hands, we can maximize their medicine's adherence. And so if we look at what the app does and the reminder schedules and the information and the advice, the live chat function with the pharmacists, you can see that we can greatly improve patient education, but also nudge patients towards better compliance. And that's what we think is really exciting. So I don't think there's anything wrong with being a mail order pharmacy uh, with a fancy app, as long as that is moving us towards better medicines compliance and adherence as a society. Indeed. So Stephen, just moving on. What's going on at Echo at the moment? We are focusing very, very heavily on the back end. So the stuff the patient doesn't see and quite frankly doesn't care about, but is absolutely essential to getting them their meds. So if you think about, uh, we've got a warehouse in West, West Acton where we uh, you, you know, store and distribute meds from. We've got teams of pharmacists working there as well. Um, What we can't just buy in, unfortunately, is software because there is no software for our type of business uh, that you can buy off the shelf. There's also very few processes uh, because most of the pharmacy is either split between retail pharmacy 
or wholesale pharmacy, and we're neither. So the short answer is just that we've been spending a huge amount of time doing stuff that no one can see, but um, makes everything go a uh, hundred times faster. Um, it's a bit like the processor in your computer. You, you know, you, you replace it and spend a lot of money and then boom. Um, and it drives efficiencies. <laughs> and that's everything from stock management to procurement to uh, dispensing to processes to picking and safety as well. We have been doubling down on the number of checks and how we build in a kind of Six Sigma approach to, to, to that like safety checking. And it's really quite exciting because the numbers, uh, and I hope to publish something, something uh, later this year, but the numbers in terms of errors are, are, are really low from what we're seeing so far, particularly compared with um, um, you know, what we would typically see in, in pharmacy. And we hope to be able to use this to demonstrate the, the clinical safety benefits of a system like ours and the centralized model. Um, so uh, we've also been working on some of the consumer um, apps and we are looking to expand, um, you know, a range of different accessibility uh, requirements. So um, it, it, I'll just be really honest here. I sometimes, when I don't have my glasses, struggle to read the text on the Echo app. Okay, <laughs> I've said it. <laughs> accessibility um, is, again, absolutely paramount to user experience. You can have the sexiest looking app, but if people can't see or interact with it, then, then, then who cares? And so we're looking <laughs> at um, improving um, accessibility, particularly as, as our fastest growing user group um, are the over 75s. So we launched a carer function uh, earlier last year, and sorry, later last year, I think uh, sort of like middle of the year. Um, and all of a sudden we had a whole bunch of patients who were very different than Echo's typical patient group, which is about 40 years old. Um, and so we now have a, a duty to understand how we can make life easier for that particular patient population, how we can, you know, give them all of the benefits, but also deal with some of the mobility issues, you know, all types of things that are absolutely critical. And again, we're going to do it um, in a sympathetic, non-patronizing way, um, we hope, that will that will you know empower them and, and give them a sense of what's the difference between white pill one and white pill two and white pill three, particularly when you could be on ten different items every day. So there's lots of exciting things going on in user research. We we have two full-time researchers on the team, which is which is you know for, for me a dream because they're working on the stuff that I personally find super exciting. Um, and then we've got a number of partnerships in the pipeline, which I hope will unlock the true value of what we're doing so uh, all i can say right now about these partnerships is that people don't like switching apps i don't like switching apps you know i i, I want kind of to just interact with primary care in in one or two places uh, and right now we've got a system or kind of an ecosystem where everyone's trying to build everything at once and what we've decided at echo is is uh, and again another kind of Glib statement, but uh, to be a steak knife in a world full of Swiss Army knives. So just focus on the medicines management angle of what we're doing and become the very, very best at it. And this means that we're not going to be doing um, appointment bookings. We're not going to be doing um, DNA home test kits. We're not, you know, we, we basically have gone through the list of all the things we can do and cross them out. We're just going to focus 
right now on meds management for primary care with a little bit of research and development around secondary care. But we haven't nailed it yet. We're on the way and we still think that, you know, what we're doing is, is, is best in class. But we're not we're not finished uh, and we've got a lot more work to do. So, you know, really, it's about sticking to our knitting and, 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 and doing the very best we can within medicines management. And, and for you guys um, as a, a company, obviously, um, part of what you're cool. describing now is essentially scaling um, that your tech systems. Um, just for some of the listeners, I guess, who might not know um, a huge amount about you guys as a company. So founded in um, 2015 and then did a seed round around about 400K um, and then took on your um, your sort of uh, Series A rounds uh, with investors, including Local Globe um, and a couple of others. Yeah. What's, you know, going, going through sort of multiple rounds like that, what's what's your focus been around those sort of customer growth and, and pharmacy partnerships been like? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because you always have to um, deliver on the numbers if you want to unlock the next tranche of funding. And, you know, you could build the best, system for a thousand patients and it would be truly incredible and then scale it but it'd be hard to get money you you need some headline numbers you need tens of thousands in order to attract vc money down the line and you know at each stage of fundraising it gets a little bit harder um so you you know the milestones become real or you know at the very seed stage it's again very much a keynote you're presenting and you're saying this is what we're going to do and how we're going to do it now there are real targets, real budgets to hit, um, which is, you know, actually quite liberating in some ways because you know, you know what you're working towards on a day to day as opposed to, you know, back in the summer of 2015, we, you know, we'd come into work and go, right, what are we doing today? <laughs> we, we, had, we, had, we had a broad plan and a deck, but, you know, the, the, the numbers give a lot of focus. So we're going through a fundraise at the moment. Um, uh, so which uh, is, it has, has been a, a pretty interesting ride. Again, um, uh, I guess you become a little bit battle-hardened after a while um, and uh, you, come, you come to no expect. But um, the, you know, the, the, the feedback from the market has been incredible. They love what we're doing generally. Uh, they love um, the, um, the, the, the team makeup. They love the kind of trajectory, the momentum. Uh, the, our positioning, you know, and, and how we work with the NHS uh, gets mentioned a lot. Uh, we published a white paper on medicines adherence in the summer, which has gone down um, better than I expected with the investor community. They 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 get it. They get the the play of um, of meds adherence and why that is so important. But um, it, this is a tough market, and, and again, you know, it, we're not disrupting pizzas here. Um, we, we're trying to transform primary care, so um, it's. Um, it, it, it's hard. Healthcare is hard. And, and that's just kind of the reality of it. But I think one of the you know reassuring things, certainly for, for you guys, and I guess the prescription market in general is, um, again, if you look at what's going on over in the US, um, I think one of, I don't know whether a competitor really or not, but um, there's a company called PillPack, um, I'm sure you're aware of in the US, who actually got acquired for just under a billion by Amazon, um, just um, towards the latter stages of last year as well. Um, they had funding um, on board of a couple hundred mil, um, and were last valued around about $361 million, I think, back in 2016. Um, but, I mean, that just shows you what um, some of these big corporations like the, the sort of conglomerate of Amazon, um, JP Morgan, Barch Hathaway, are looking at. Um, and, you know, reassuring that, that companies like yourselves 
um, are, are, there are people sort of looking at this at a, a you know bigger scale than than just the NHS as well. Yeah, sure, but America is so different. So we our entire GDP in the UK is the same as the healthcare spend in the US, right? We typically will spend uh, in the UK between 10 to 12 percent of GDP on healthcare. They're pushing 20 percent in some by some measures. So there's literally kind of twice the margin in that market. Um, you, you, you know, I, you guys, you guys are clinicians. You've been to the States. You've probably thought about immigrating there as well. Um, there's, a lot, there's a lot more um, Porsches in uh, Mayo Clinic's car park than there are outside guys in St. Thomas's, right? I'm for, far more interested in, in, in mark, personally, in markets where we have uh, free access to those who, who need it. Um, I, I think that is an absolutely critical tenant of what I personally believe is important in the society. Having you know, spent a bit of time in, in, in the US and, and also in South America and seeing the realities um, of what it means to not have health insurance, um, I, I would much prefer um, uh, build something for you know, our markets. And, and when I talk about our markets, I'm talking about a lot of the Commonwealth countries, uh, talking about um, uh, the domestic European markets, which really do need um, transformation. And then some of the uh, exciting emerging markets, such as India, Indonesia, and Malaysia. Um, that, I think, is, is far more kind of realistic to scale on a global level than, than, than the U.S. model, where there's just simply way, way more money. Um, and all healthcare entrepreneurs should know that, that when comparing yourself to the U.S., don't fall into the, that trap of trying to get a multiple based on what PillPack um, does, because we, we're in a different uh, game here where I believe there's, there's you know, more, more potential societal reward for what we're doing. Um, but the market is heating up. And, I, you know, I'd be interested to see what Gartner have to say about where we are in the health tech life cycle for the UK. Obviously, you had Theranos come and go. Um, and if anyone has has uh, checked out uh, that book, uh, I, I would recommend it. It's a super interesting read about um, uh, the, the Theranos story. But um, I think it's an exciting time, but it will only happen if we certainly in Europe, it's only going to happen if we cooperate and collaborate. Um, there can't be one platform to rule them all. It has to be about working together and um, continuous care pathways. There are patients who, uh, for whom I believe that ECHO is not a good solution. It's not a silver bullet. And there'll be a time in their life when they'll get a better form of care from a face-to-face -face clinical service. And I'm totally fine with that. And I want to work with people who see the, the, the overall ecosystem in those terms. Um, but for a lot of people... There is a huge amount of uh, benefit to using a service like ours, uh, we believe. Cool. So, Stephen, what else do you think at the moment is, I guess, hot in the pharmacy market? I know you talk about the US being very different from the UK. The economics are such that there are managed margins. So the, the profit available to pharmacy is effectively set by the government. And with our aging population, uh, we're seeing an increase in the number of you know, uh, items shipped, med medicines required. Um, but a decrease on the um, uh, uh, margin available per item. So you've got sort of a perfect storm there, which will see consolidation. Um, I think we're going to see a, the best community pharmacies move more into services, move more into care homes, into GP practices. 
And I think yesterday's GP contract announcement was a was a was a good sign of what's to come. Um, we're going to see less dispensaries. I mean, I live in Oval, and you know, within kind of a kilometer of my house, there must be fifteen to twenty uh, pharmacies. Um, uh, and I think we're probably going to see a contraction of them. But again, the patient needs aren't going to go away. So we're going to have to bridge that gap somehow. And that will be through a mix of hub and spoke. Um, and I think we'll also be through a, um, a greater increase in, in patient empowerment and pharmacy empowerment. So, you know, it, it's 2018 and, you know, a woman who needs to get the pill can't just go into her pharmacy and get that, you know, uh, it's still a GP led service. And I'm thinking, well, you know, if you could take the blood pressure and write and the pharmacist could write back to the patient's record and use a PGD, all of a sudden that entire service could be managed through a community pharmacist or indeed online. And there's many, many different um, examples of, of chronic disease management that could be better managed through pharmacy than, than, than the current status quo. Um, and then I think linked to that, there's patient empowerment. So self-care and, and taking responsibility for your own medicines. Right now, we've got a really good case in point. Diabetics, you know, if, if you're a diabetic taking insulin, you're effectively taking your own measurement daily um, and then adjusting the level of insulin as required. And hey, presto, you know, you're managing your meds. Why, why, why is that okay for insulin and not for other mm -hmm. conditions? And, and I think we're, we're missing a trick by, you know, not giving patients the tools to self-manage. And that can be, you know, maybe greater supplies or it could be um, around, uh, you know, trainings. There's many different ways to do this, but something has to give. We just can't keep on going the way we're going where, you know, we have a GP shortage. We have continuous downward pressure on margins of pharmacies. And the only way to address it, from my mind, is through technology. I completely agree. Um, so, Stephen, thank you for this. I thoroughly enjoyed this. This has been awesome. Um, the way we end these podcasts is that we yeah. hand back over to yourself to summarize a little bit about yourself and Echo. Yeah. Hi, my name is Stephen. I'm co-founder of Echo, a medicine management app. Um, I'm a lifelong patient, so have really you know, developed this service to solve a problem that I understand, and that's how do I get my medicine and how do I take my medicine and how do I remove the chore, the, uh, uh, the headache of uh, running the prescription gauntlet every month? We are 75 people strong as a team now. We're about three and a half years, of, uh, three and a half, uh, years old. And I would ask anyone listening to this to uh, check out our website, echo.co.uk. And if you think that there is a way for us to work together as partners, um, get in touch.